theyeshiva.net. Here is the big question. We all know this is a famous principle that our sages taught in many places, and that is that our patriarchs and matriarchs, the Avis and the Emois, observed the whole Torah even before it was given. The Gemara says this in Yuma, page 28, Yuma of Chesam and Aleph. Rav says, Kiyam Avram Avinu Kola Torah Kula Shalai Avram Avinu observed the whole Torah even before it was given, and he brings a Pasuk. It says in Parshish told us, Hashem tells Yitzchak, Ekev Hashem Avram Bekoili, Vayishma Mishmarti Mitzvaysech Ukoise Besaroiseh. Shem says, Avram Avinu obeyed my voice, my commandments, and he listened, he internalized, he observed all of my mitzvahs, all of my statues, all of my laws. And the Gemara says, the Kiyam Avram Avinu Afilu Eruv Tafshilim. Even a mitzvah like Eruv Tafshilim, which is a rabbinic mitzvah and it allows us to cook on Yom Tif for Shabbos, because usually you're not allowed to cook extra food on Yom Tif that you don't need that day. But through the Eruv Tafshilim that we make you cook, it's a rabbinic injunction. Avram Avinu even observed Eruv Tafshilim, that's why it says, Mitzvay in the plural, not only Teresh HaBiksav, but also Teresh HaBalpah. Not only the written Torah, but also the oral tradition. And this is not just, you know, a, a nice thought. Chazal are saying in reality, the Avais were aware of the mitzvahs of the Torah, and they observed them. And that's why the Mepharshim saying, Parshas Vayeru, when Avram Avinu has the guests that come over to him, he has the three guests who later turn out to be angels. And Avram Avinu invites them into his tent, and the Torah says, Vayikach chema v'chalav uven habakar asherasa. And the Mepharshim say, look at the order, he gives them chema, which is yogurt, or, uh, or sour cream, or butter, and he gives them milk, and then Uben Abakasher us, and then he prepares the meat. And the Mefarshim say that Avramavinu was makbit. He made sure to first give them milchiks, dairy, and only afterwards give them deli. Because if he would have first given them meat, they would have to wait a long time until they can eat milk. But after you eat milk, you don't have to wait so long until you eat meat. And that's why there's the order of how he served even his guests, which appeared to be Bedouin Arabs. Yaakov Avinu himself says this about himself as well. Yaakov Avinu himself says, in Parshas Vayishlach, he sends a message to Esav, and he tells Esav, Im Lavan Garti, I have lived with Lavan. And Rashi says right there, Garti is Tuf Yud Gimel, it's four letters, Tuf Reish, which means 613, Im Lavan Garti, Vitaryag Mitzvah Shamarti. I lived with Lavan, but I observed the 630 mitzvahs of the Torah. Of course, some of the mitzvahs could not be observed then the way they were observed later, but Whatever mitzvah can be observed, they observed, and each mitzvah they observed in some form or fashion. The Zayar discusses how Yaakov put on tefillin. His whole avayda with the sticks by Yilavon, with the sheep, was a form of putting on tefillin, etc. But the concept is, because obviously they didn't have tefillin with parchments, with the sections of Torah that we have in our tefillin, or a mezuzah on the door with sections of Torah, Torah wasn't written yet. But the reality, the energy of every mitzvah was observed by the Avis and the Yimayas. And as we said, even Erev Tavshalom. We have a Rashi about Yitzchak as well. Yitzchak sends Esav to bring him food. So he says, Sonna Kelecha. Rashi says Yitzchak was telling Esav that he should sharpen the knife to make sure that there's no blemish in the knife. Shaloi tachileni nevela. When you shecht an animal, it should be sure that it should be a kosher animal. The shechita, the slaughtering has to be done with a smooth knife. So it shouldn't turn out to be a non-kosher shechita, a non-kosher form of slaughtering, which makes the animal non-kosher. And therefore, even if you get a kosher animal like a deer, but it has to be shechted in an appropriate way. But this was before Matan Torah. The others were not abdim. Nobody was given the mitzvahs yet. They only had the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noyach, the seven Noachide laws. Nonetheless, the others were meticulous to observe the mitzvahs. Ekev HaShashama Avram This is now the problem. How is it that Yaakov could tell Lavan, and Rashi says, Yag Mitzvahs Shamarti, I observed the 630 mitzvahs. You did not observe the 630 mitzvahs. 
Korib Vayikra, Perik Yudches, Pasuk Yudches. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 18, it says, Ve'isha el achaysa lo isikach. You cannot marry a woman and then her sister. You cannot marry two sisters. Litzroy, Legalois, Ervasa, Lebechaya. You cannot marry one sister if you marry the other sister, as long as the first sister is alive, even if you're not married anymore. You're not allowed to now marry the second sister. And the Torah uses on the word Litzroy. You're causing the two sisters to become enemies, to become a tsara, to become a source of distress for each other. Because the fact is, the Sefer HaChinuch writes, Mitzvah Zayin, Lo Yisa Adam There's a prohibition, a person is not allowed to marry two sisters. It's one of the 613 mitzvahs of Torah. And the Torah uses the word, Sisters have a special relationship. Everybody who has sisters knows it's a healthy, functional family. There's a special kinship between sisters that is unique. Even though brothers also have a special relationship and parents and children have a special relationship. But there's something about sisters, right? Those of you who are, who have sisters, you know what, you know what I'm talking about. There's something special about the bond, the kinship between sisters. There's the, the closeness, the trust, growing up in the same home. There's something very special about sisters. Now, we are interfering into this relationship. When a person marries two sisters and now they're both wives of this person, even in a time when they did polygamy before Cheir Rabbeinu Gershom, the Torah prohibits this. Do not do this to sisters. Don't bring them into a marriage with one husband. You are undermining a very powerful relationship between two sisters. So how could Yaakov tell love and I observed the 613 mitzvahs? You did not. You did not. Now you might say, well, he was duped. He was deceived. What is he supposed to do? Well, one second. Nobody forced him to marry Rachel. He wanted to marry Rachel. He was deceived. Okay? He he got married to Leah. Okay, now what happens? Morning comes. He's married to Leah. You say, well, he wanted Rachel. Okay? I understand he wanted Rachel. <laughs> but he was married to Leah. Now, he couldn't divorce Leah because even if you divorce Leah, you're still not allowed to marry a sister. As I told you, as long as one sister is alive, you're not allowed to marry the second sister. So there was no options. He can divorce Leah and not be married to Leah or Rachel. Or he could be married to Leah and not marry Rachel. But Yaakov Avinu clearly engages in something that in the future will be a violation of Jewish law. How do we reconcile this with that principle? How can the sages say the others observed the whole Torah before it was given? They did not. At least Yaakov Avinu did not. We have a clear story in Chumash undermining it. And it's strange because Rashi himself brings the message that Yaakov said, I observed the 613 mitzvahs when I was by Lavan. You did not observe the 613 mitzvahs. And the Gemariam Sachem says, you yourself will not want to take the cup of benching of grace after meals. Why? Because I did something that in the future will become prohibited and therefore I feel that I'm unworthy of taking the Kaisal Bracha. The Ramban asks this question. Nachmanides, who lived in the 13th century in Spain, Barcelona, Rabbi Nehemiah ben Nachman, in his commentary on Chumash, Perik Chavav, Bereshis Pasuke, Genesis 26, says, Since Avram observed the whole Torah, and this was the custom of the patriarchs, Eich yesh lishel eich nasa Yaakov There's a great question, how could Yaakov marry two sisters and violate this principle that the Aves observed the whole Torah? Again, if Yaakov wouldn't have this commitment to observe the whole Torah, it's not a question. Before the Torah was given, it was not forbidden. You can marry your sister, and you can marry another sister. But since the Avis observed the Torah before it was given, how can Yaakov do this? Why, and why, why would, why would he do it? We all know the Ramban's answer, or at least many of us remember the Ramban's answer. What's the Ramban's answer? The Ramban says something very interesting. The patriarchs and the matriarchs were only careful to observe the Torah when they were living in the borders of Eretz Yisrael. Once they went out of Eretz Yisrael, they were not meticulous anymore to observe the whole Torah. 
And this is how the Ramam explains something painful. He says, where was the marriage of Yaakov? The marriage of Yaakov was in Mesopotamia and Chara, northern Iraq, southern Turkey, that region of the world, outside of Eretz Over there, Yaakov did not observe the whole Torah, and therefore over there he could marry two sisters. He could marry Leah, and then he could marry Rachel. He says, however, when he came back to Eretz Yisrael, indeed, what happens? Rachel passes away. In Eretz Yisrael, he couldn't observe the whole Torah. He couldn't, in Eretz Yisrael, he observed the whole Torah. And in Eretz Yisrael, indeed, he didn't have to divorce Leah anymore. Rachel Imenu passed away. And Rachel Imenu passed away, so he wasn't married anymore to two sisters. Somebody says one of the reasons that Rachel wasn't buried in Maris Machpelah, because since Rachel married him Leah, he was married to in a permissible way, because Leah, when he married Leah, she was the only woman. But Rachel was the one who was added later as a sister. So the problem was with Rachel, not with Leah. He didn't want to be buried with two sisters, because this would be problematic, because of the prohibition later. So this is the Ramban's explanation. A very interesting explanation. There's a difference between in Eretz Yisrael and outside of Eretz Yisrael, which is actually consistent with the view of the Ramban. The Ramban says that the main observance of all the mitzvahs is only in Eretz Yisrael. The Sifri says, we say in Vahayim Shemay, the second part of Shema, you're going to be expelled from the good land, from Eretz Yisrael. But still, the Samtim is Dvare Eilalavavchim. Even in the diaspora, you should still observe mitzvahs. So Rashi brings from the Sifri on the Pasuk Yunim that the mitzvahs that we do in Chutzlaritz are essentially a preparation for the mitzvahs that we do in Eretz Yisrael. The Ramban holds that the main observance of Torah and mitzvahs of Yiddishkeit is in Eretz Yisrael. The reason we do the mitzvahs in Chutzlaritz is that when we come back to Eretz Yisrael, we should know what to do. We should know how a Jew lives. In other words, Eretz Yisrael is the organic home of the Jew. That's where Judaism can live. That's where Jew, the Jew can fully breathe. That's where the Jew can fully express his or her identity and live in an organic fashion, connected to the soil, connected to the earth. This is where Jewish life can be lived to the fullest. It can be actualized and materialized in the most powerful way. This is what the Ramban explains in Vayikra. And therefore, in Eretz Yisrael, the obvious observed the whole Torah before was given without the Chutz Laretz. The reason we observe the mitzvahs in Chutz Laretz is as a sign to remember the mitzvahs. We shouldn't forget them wearing Chutz Laretz. The Ramban is not trying to be lenient about observing the mitzvahs outside of Eretz Yisrael. But the Ramban is saying that the ultimate, the ultimate fulfillment of Torah and mitzvahs is in Eretz Yisrael. This follows the Ramban's view also about Yaakov Avinu. However, even though this is a very interesting uh, answer of the Ramban, nonetheless, according to Rashi, you can't give this answer. And according to many Midrashim, you can't give this answer, because what did Yaakov tell Lavan? Remember, im Lavan garti, v'taryag, mitzvah shamarti. Rashi clearly says that Yaakov announced, he sent a message to Esau, when he left Lavan's house in Chutz Oretz, I observed the 630 mitzvahs. In other words, even by Lavan, v'taryag mitzvah, he doesn't say 612, he says 630 mitzvahs. How you can't, how can you say such a thing, Yaakov? According to the Ramban, that wouldn't make sense. He did not observe the Tayyag Mitzvahs by Lavan. So how can the Ramban say this? So there, it's an explanation of the Ramban, but certainly according to Rashi and many Midrashim, this explanation would not suffice. There's another famous answer that was given by a great sage who's known as Rabbi Yehuda Ruzanis. He authored the commentary of Mishnah Lamelech on the Rambam. And he has a book known as Parashas Drachim. Parashas Drachim. And over there, the Mishnah Lamelech, Rabbi Ruzanis, he addresses this in a different way. He says, I want to ask you a question. The patriarchs and the matriarchs of Israel, were they considered Jews or, not, or Gentiles? Certainly they were monotheists. Certainly they had a special intimate relationship with Hashem. But are they considered B'nai Noyach or are they considered Jews? It's before the Torah was given. 
Torah and mitzvahs were not given. What is their halachic status? Do we say that essentially they were Gentiles? It's just they observed various mitzvahs and various stringencies and various commandments, or they were actually, they had the definition, halachic definition of Jews. Says the Parashas Drachim. If you say that they were actually defined as Jews, just like after Matan Torah, we have in halacha, there's the status of a Jew, the status of a Gentile. Each one has its unique mitzvahs and its unique role in the world. Before Matan Torah, there was also this difference. If so, you could say that Rachel and Leah were converted. They converted to Judaism. They converted to, to the lifestyle, to the faith of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. We know conversion has a unique halacha. The Gemara says, Geishen is A convert who converts is like a child that was reborn. It's like a second birth. It's a new birth. And therefore, halachically, he could marry Rachel and Leah. Because halachically, they're not considered sisters. Even though biologically, they're sisters. But because they both went through a conversion. And if they went through a conversion, it's kekat and shanay It's like a new birth. So Rachel has, is reborn. Leah is reborn, not to the same father and mother, because it's like a new spiritual birth. And they become new people. And this is a fascinating idea because basically what it means is that when a ger converts, even though biologically family always remains family and you never, you never sever that and obviously there's certain feelings and emotions, but actually halachically the ger, the convert, yeah, is, Rachel is allowed to marry a husband, yeah, who's married to her sister because they're not considered halachic sisters. It's like two children who were reborn anew. They were reborn anew. In fact, a convert halachically, can even marry his own sister. If she converts, why? Because they're not siblings. Now, the rabbi said you shouldn't do it because we shouldn't say that when, you, when you're a non-Jew, you don't marry your sister. When you become a Jew, you go, you marry your sister. So rabbinically, you're not allowed. A ger doesn't marry his sister, doesn't marry his mother <laughs> if she converts. Right? But here you have a situation of two sisters, a husband marrying two sisters. Since these two sisters... So this is not something that's changing from there where there were Gentiles, that there they were on a higher level of Kedusha, and now you're lowering it, so it wouldn't be a problem. So therefore, Yaakov could marry two sisters, because halachically they're not considered sisters. But there's a difficulty here, even though it's a very interesting answer. If the reason why you're not allowed to marry two sisters is Litzra, because you're interfering in the relationship between them, it's, it's, it's causing a distress, it's making one a source of distress for the other, conversion doesn't change the biological sense of connectivity. And to say that before Matan Torah, conversion can achieve such a thing, it's difficult to say. What is more, Hashem tells Avram Avinu in Parshish Lech Lecha, You're going to come back to your fathers peacefully. So Rashi says that Hashem told him that Terech is going to do tshuva. According to the Parashas Drachim, Avram Avinu is not even the child of Terech, because Avram Avinu certainly confer- converted to Judaism. So, Biologically, he's a child, but not spiritually. Why does Hashem say, You're going to come back to your father and you're going to be united with him peacefully. And Rashi explains this. That means, according to Rashi, you can't say there was just a conversion and he's not connected to Terech anymore. The Torah clearly says Hashem calls Terech his father. So if so, you have to say that the conversion before Matan Torah, even if there was a form of conversion, it's not the same conversion like after Matan Torah. It's a different status. Even if you're calling them Jews and there's a concept of conversion, it's not the same conversion like before, like after Matan Torah to say that Rachel and Leah are not considered sisters anymore. And if so, 
at least according to Rashi, we're, st- we're, we're left with this great question. Why is it that Yaakov Avinu violates this great commitment of the patriarchs and matriarchs to observe the whole Torah before it was given? I'm going to present today a fascinating explanation that was presented by the Lubavitcher Rebbe at a Fabrengin. It was Shabbos Parshas, Shabbos Parshas Miketz Tavshin Chavches. That's the beginning of 1968, Shabbos Miketz. And there, the Lubavitcher Rebbe suggested another way of looking at this, and actually very simple, very straightforward, which would even make sense according to Rashi. Because Rashi himself says that Yaakov observed all the 630 mitzvahs even outside of the diaspora, and yet Rashi, who says, I'm here to explain everything in Chumash that's difficult, should have given an answer to somebody learning Chumash. So why did he marry two sisters? So obviously Rashi felt that there's something very straightforward and simple. Why a simple explanation why Yaakov could marry two sisters. And the explanation that the Lubavitcher Rebbe presented is actually brilliant in its simplicity. Yaakov Avinu could not get out of marrying Rachel. You know why? He made a promise to her. He made a commitment to Rachel that he's going to marry her. And she waited seven years. Yaakov could be machmer on his own cheshben. Nishtaf anander cheshben. Yaakov could be stringent when it comes to his own Judaism, not when it comes to somebody else's life. Remember, Hashem did not obligate Yaakov to observe the 630 mitzvahs. This was a personal chumrah, a personal stringency that the others accepted upon themselves to do an extracurricular activity beyond what was obliged, beyond the law. You could be as stringent as you want for yourself, but you cannot allow your own chumrah to come at the expense of the promise you made to another person. The commitment to Rachel was a real commitment. It was a real promise. And according even to the laws of Bnei Noach before Matan Taira, a commitment you have to fulfill. My proof is, Yaakov tells Lavan, Lamarimi Sonny, why did you deceive me? Lavan should have said, what's the problem with deceiving somebody? I told you that I'll give you Rachel. I changed my mind. They say there was an Israeli politician who once made a promise, and then he didn't fulfill his promise. So they came to him and they said, you promised, and he says, I made a promise, but I didn't make a promise to do it. It was a promise. Lovin should have told Yaakov, why did I deceive you? Why not? Where does it say you can't deceive somebody? I told you that I'll marry you. I'll give you Rachel. I decided I want to give you Leah. He didn't do that. He had to justify himself. Why did he have to justify himself? This means that even in the culture of the Bnei Noyach, of the Gentile world, deceiving somebody, meaning making a promise with words, a commitment, and then backing out, even though you can do it, but you're backing out on it, you're violating the promise, it was considered immoral before Matan So the Chumrah of Yaakov Avinu can't come at the price of violating a promise you made to somebody. If it was after Matan and I made a promise to somebody, I tell a girl, I'm going to marry you, and then I end up marrying her sister for whatever reason, right or wrong. Now I can't marry her because I am forbidden to do this. I am forbidden to marry two sisters. It's not a chumrah. It's a prohibition. Hashem doesn't allow a Jew to marry two sisters. Yes, it's painful. I should apologize. I made a commitment. But there's nothing to do. I'm so sorry. But for Yaakov Avinu, there was no prohibition to marry two sisters. It was a chumrah. Beautiful chumrah. An amazing chumrah. The obvious did the whole Torah before it was given. They absorbed all the 630 mitzvahs. But at whose expense? You're going to do it at Rachel's expense? 
You're going to hurt Rachel. You're going to shame Rachel. You're going to make Rachel miserable. Rachel was waiting seven years for this. You made a commitment. At whose expense are you going to be a tzaddik? At whose expense are you going to be a holy, holy Jew? You'll be holy. I observed the whole Torah before it was given and Rachel is left lonely. Rachel is left sad. Rachel is left dejected, bereft of this relationship she was looking forward to. Now you might say, okay, so divorce Leah. Divorce Leah and marry Rachel. You could do both. You made a promise to Rachel. You didn't make a promise to Leah. So besides the fact of what it would do to Leah, there's also another issue. Divorcing Leah wouldn't help. Because even if you divorce Leah, you're still not allowed to marry Rachel. As I told you, as long as one sister is alive, you're not allowed to marry the second sister. So divorcing Leah would not be a solution to this halachic quandary. The only solution would be not to marry Rachel. Why? Because you do the whole turn. The Torah says you're not allowed to marry two sisters. Wait, beautiful. But that's a chumrah. It's my own stringency. I can't allow my chumrah to be more powerful than my obligation to fulfill my word. And we see that even before Matan Torah, this was considered a moral obligation. And that's why Lavan had to justify himself and explain why he deceived Yaakov. And he said, I had no choice because marrying off a younger sister before an older sister is completely inappropriate in our space. We see later also, it comes to Shimon and Levi. When Shimon and Levi kill out the whole city of Shechem, Yaakov tells them, You have made me disgusting. You have made me ugly. You have made me perceive grotesque. You, you, you have made me look very ugly, very immoral. And you have made me stink in the eyes of the citizens of the country. Why? Why? They were, they were, they, there was a war. They were trying to save Dina. The problem is they made a covenant and they violated it. Shechem came, Shechem and Hamar came to, to the Shvatim and they said, let's make a treaty. We will live with you, you will live with us, we will be in peace, we will intermarry with each other, we will do business together. And you agreed and you made a condition. If they circumcised themselves, that's fine. And they went to the city and everybody circumcised themselves. In other words, there was a covenant. There was a treaty that was made, verbally a commitment. And what happened? You destroyed this. You manipulated them, you, you, you exploited their weakness the third day of the circumcision and you went to kill them. The question was not if Shimon and Levi were, had a reason. They wanted, Dina was abducted by the way, Dina was never released. He raped Dina and he kept her in the palace. And they went to save Dina. But that's, we're not getting into the details of that story, what Shimon and Levi exactly were thinking. But Yaakov Avinu was so perturbed. Shimon and Levi could have turned to Yaakov and said, Rabbi Yaakov, why is everybody going to be upset at you? Yaakov said that all the nations, all the people, all the people in these, everybody lives in the land is going to see me as a disgusting person, as a horror. See why? Because you violated a commitment. So we see from here that a commitment was considered valid, intense, potent, and powerful. Even by the Bnei Noyach. It was considered immoral. It was objectionable. It was reprehensible if you do not follow through with your commitment. So Yaakov says, I have a chumrah to observe the whole Torah, beautiful, but I made a commitment to Rachel. What's more powerful? Violating a commitment was considered a prohibition as an extension of the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Nayach, a violation of moral life. Not marrying two sisters is a, is a Torah prohibition for the future. For me, to tell Rachel I'm not going to marry her and cause her such pain and violate the promise, this, sorry, this cannot be dismissed because of my desire to be a mahadir, to be a machmir, to be stringent, to be stringent in Torah. I'm going to quote the words of the Rebbe and translate. He says, the fact that the others accepted upon themselves to observe the whole Torah, it was a chumrah. It was a hisafa in frumkait mitzad ha'avas. The others decided they want to be more from, and that's why it's a special schus. It's a unique schus. 
So when the observance of a certain mitzvah that you were not commanded is going to be in contradiction to a mitzvah for which you were commanded, you cannot do that mitzvah. Because obviously a chumrah cannot override a commandment. The Avais were not obligated to do all the mitzvahs. This was a special stringency. If this is now contradicting something they were commanded, and they're going to say, whoa, 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 I can't do this mitzvah. I have to observe the whole Torah. A chumrah cannot override a mitzvah. Or to put it in different words, in this situation, when by fulfilling the whole Torah, you're going to violate a mitzvah that you do have, then how can you observe the whole Torah? By not doing it. Because it's contradicting a mitzvah that you were given. Which explains, brilliantly and simply, a very big question. If Avram did the whole Torah before it was given, why didn't he circumcise himself? At age 99, he circumcised him. When Hashem tells him, said Avram did the whole the Torah even before that. So why didn't he give himself a bris? He did the whole Torah before it was given. What's the answer? The answer is Pashat. One of the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nei Noyach is, you're not allowed to spill your own blood. It says in Parshas Noyach, Rashi says, If you spill your own blood, not only if you kill yourself, even if you just hurt yourself, you maim yourself, and you spill your own blood, even if it's not life-threatening, it is forbidden. That's what it says in Parshas Noyach. You're not allowed to make yourself ill. You're not allowed to spill your own blood. We're not talking about bloodletting in order to make you healthier. We're talking about spilling blood, not to make you healthier. So how can Avram Avinu circumcise himself? You say, because Avram Avinu is very, very from. You can't be from on the cheshben of Hashem. Hashem says you're not allowed to spill your own blood. When you circumcise yourself, you're spilling your own blood. He didn't need it for health. So you say, but I have to observe the whole Torah. Wait, 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 you're observing the whole Torah and violating what Hashem told you? Because you want to be a machmir, therefore you're going to violate the mitzvah of Hashem. Hashem told you not to spill your own blood. You can't. When Hashem gives you a mitzvah to do a bris milah, then you have to. Because the same God who told you not to spill your own blood told you to do a bris milah. So then it's a mitzvah. But to do the mitzvah of bris milah on your own is not from. You're not being from, you're violating Torah because Torah said you shouldn't. The same point here. Yaakov Avinu wants to be from, not to marry two sisters. But one second, not marrying Rachel is violating the, 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 violating the mitzvah to fulfill your promises and your commitments. Which was something that was valid before Matan Taita. So in order to be from and observe Taita, what does Yaakov Avinu do? He has to marry two sisters. He has to marry two sisters because if he doesn't marry two sisters, he's actually violating a mitzvah that he's obligated to do. You can't allow a chumrah to override a mitzvah. In this case, what's the chumrah? The chumrah is not to do the chumrah. <laughs> In this case, the chumrah is not to do the chumrah. That's how you're stringent. Sometimes you do a chumrah by not doing it, by going out of your chumras, because if you do the chumrah, you're violating a mitzvah. It's a great story. It's a story about the sixth Lubavitch Rebbe, the Rebbe Rayatz. You know that by Hasidim, they're very makhved on Shuri, the Brocht. So they say that once in the home of the Rebbe Rayatz, second floor of 770 East Park, where he was having a, it was a Pesach Fabrengen, or a Pesach meal, and there was somebody there who wasn't a Hasid, and he took the matzah, and he dipped it into, uh, into uh, vinaigrette, into uh, beet sauce, and, uh, into beets, you know, vinaigrette it's called. <coughs> it was like a beet mixture. He dipped it in the matzah, was, he was at the end of the table, the other end of the table. So there were yeshiva boys there, Chabadniks, they got very uh, perturbed because in by Chassidim and by Chabad, they're very, very meticulous about not getting your matzah wet, not only with water, with any liquid, including with beets. So they were very, um, I don't know, they were very triggered. And I guess they gave this person a piece in their mind. Either they rebuked him or screamed him, what are you doing, what are you doing? The Rebbe, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rebbe Yosef Yitzhak was at the other end of the table. And he saw that there was a commotion, so he asked Rebbe Shmuel, 
what is going on there? One of his chassidim, what's going on? So he said, he'll find it, and he asks, and they tell they tell him that this person had the audacity to take matzah and dip it into the beach. So the Rebbe said, better a red matzah than a red face. Because you're machmer, not to eat gebrocks, therefore you're going to humiliate somebody and embarrass them and cause them to blush. Better a red matzah than a red face. The Rebbe was not saying that matzah shruya should not, is not, a, is not an important chumrah. His grandfather, the Balatanya, says to be very careful not to eat gebrocks with the reasons that he gives. And he explains how the matzah, the baking of the matzah changed in the 1700s. And because the whole process of the, of, 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 of the, of baking changed and the bakeries changed and there was a concept of bakeries, therefore now it is not uncommon that there should be a speck of flour that is unbaked because of how fast they bake the matzah in the oven with so much intense heat. And there could be a speck of, of dough that's unbaked. And if it gets wet, chas v'shalom, it could be chametz. He has a whole truva about it. But even he says, Achrin shall pesach, you could eat matzah shruya. Because it's a chumrah, it's a stringency, and an important one. And that's why by Hasidim they're very meticulous about it. But you have to know the difference between a chumrah, a minhig, a mitzvah's essay, a mitzvah's license, something that's asimin a minhig and a chumrah. So now I'm going to embarrass somebody publicly and make them blush and make them feel horrible so that, what? That I can observe my chumrah. No, you missed the boat. We don't observe chumras because we want to be holier than thou. We observe chumras because we want to be close to truth. Because we want to be close to God. Because we want a relationship with Hashem. If Hashem says, you're going to be embarrassing somebody, now the chumra is, let him eat gebrachts. I'll tell you another beautiful story. Talking about Pesach, I told you that a lot of people started to learn Meseches Psachim now. For Daf Yoimi. In 1979, there was the revolution in Iran. I don't know if some of you probably remember it. Right, the Shah was overthrown in 1979. You remember, and Ayatollah Khomeini came to power, and everything changed in Iran from then till this very day. All the tsarists of Iran, there were many, many Jews living in Iran at the time. A few months before the revolution, it's a whole story in and of itself, but I remember it as a child. The Lubavitcher Rebbe sent some emissaries to Iran to convince parents to send their children to come study in the states or in Israel. And a few thousand youth of Iran came out then. I still remember they came to Brooklyn. They were set up in different places. They were set up in yeshivas. And there are hundreds and hundreds of families today from those kids who left Iran then. And it was Pesach 79. And I remember in Crown Heights, they made a huge Seder for the Iranian children. And the Rebbe, the night of Pesach, came to visit them before the Seder, to speak to the children, to encourage them, sing with them, celebrate Pesach with them before he went home to do his own Seder. A few days before Pesach, the Rebbe sent a message to the order. The Lubavitch Rebbe sent a message to the organizers. They should make sure to prepare rice for these children, for the Pesach the Seder and for the Pesach the meals. And those who received the instruction were very perturbed. They're Ashkenazim. They come from Russia, Ashkenazim. And we all know Ashkenazim, rice on Pesach? Are you crazy? It's kidneys. It's kidneys. It was so strange. But then they realized, these are kids from Iran. By them, rice is a staple food on Pesach. These kids left their parents. They're young. They're alone. They're lonely. They're vulnerable. For them, part of Pesach celebration is they eat rice. Do we eat rice? We don't eat rice. 
Is it forbidden to eat rice? Is it a biblical prohibition or rabbinic prohibition? In Gemara, it's not. It's the issue of Kitneas that was introduced by the Ashkenazic halachic authorities in the Middle Ages, whether the 10th century, 11th century, 12th century, somewhere in that zip code. It's a chumrah, it's a minhik, it's an issue that's brought in later Paiskim. Is it a biblical prohibition? No. Is it a rabbinic prohibition from the early Chum? No. And that's why the Sephardim do it. The Ashkenazim don't do it, the Sephardim do it. These are kids that are from Sephardim. Kids from Iran. For them, this was part of Pesach. We're going to cook rice on Pesach. The Rebbe was saying, it's a chumrah. It's a chumrah that we cherish. It's a chumrah that we keep. But don't take away their Pesach. Don't interfere with their Pesach. They are in a vulnerable place, and this is going to add to their Simchas Yomtev, and Simchas Yomtev is a mitzvah minatayra. And if I know that by not making rice, I'm going to be observing my chumrah, but ultimately it's going to take away Pesach from them. The Rebbe says, make that for them rice. I thought it's such a beautiful, it's a simple story, such a beautiful story. It's about an approach. And this doesn't come, this should not come from lightheadedness. Sometimes people couldn't care less, a chumrah, minne, kitney, is no kitney, is good. That's not where it's coming from. We're talking here about people, their commitment, <laughs> you have to see how the Rebbe ate matzah with, with them, he was careful from gebraks, or careful from kitneyas. On themselves, they were makbidat koitzu shaliyud. If it's a chumrin if it's a minig yisrael tayruhu, they were very makbid. But you have to understand, you have to have perspective, you have to have a bird's eye view. Don't get caught up in the religious, you know, obsessiveness and holier than thou attitude. And it often becomes about ego. And even if it's not about ego, it becomes about my chumris at the expense of others. They say a beautiful story about the Chafetz Chaim. The Chafetz Chaim once came home, he had guests. And he right away went to Kiddush. He skipped Shalom Aleichem, he skipped Eishas Chayim. Right away to Kiddush. Later, middle of the meal, he did Shalom Aleichem, he did Eishas Chayim. So somebody asked him, his wife or somebody asked him, what happened? And he said, I saw that the guests were very hungry. They didn't eat anything all day. Maybe they didn't eat the night before, the day before. They were poor people, they were hungry. And they were starving. And I felt the most important thing is to feed them. And then he said, the Malachim says, and hungry because they can't The Malachim are not starving. They can wait. It looked like they ate. They didn't eat. They're not starving. He said they can't have eaten. The malachim will wait a little longer. What do you mean? Shalom aleichem. You do before kiddush. But Chavetz Chaim said, "Wait, wait, wait. You have a, a, a Jew who's hungry. You have to feed him. We have to say shalom aleichem. It's a minute to say shalom aleichem. A gevalda come in. I'll say it later." They say a story about Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. Satzal Rashiv of Torah Vadas. From Slobotka. Some I say, I read, I heard, I heard from one of his family members or Talmidim, I think. He didn't need Gebrachts on Pesach. Now, he was a Litvak. The Chassidim are Makbar on Gebrachts because of the true of the Balatanya and other Paiskim in the Chassidic world. The Litvash Yidin did eat Gebrachts. They, they were not Makbar on Shreya. He was a Slobotka Talmud. So somebody asked him, I think his Enakal, why he doesn't eat Gebrachts. And he responded. And he said something. He said, he was in Slobotka in Yeshiv in Lithuania. He couldn't go home for Pesach. He didn't have money. So they set him up with a family there. It was called Essentag. They set him up with a family there. He should eat. He should eat to have the Seder there. They served the chicken soup for the Seder <laughs> with Kneidlach. Matzah ball. Matzah ball soup. Of course, Kneidlach Akabrokts. You take matzah, right? You grind the matzah, right? Into small pieces. You have small pieces of matzah, like flour, so to speak. And then you knead it with water and you make Kneidlach. So it's essentially gebrakt. You take matzah, you make it wet. Rabbi Yaakov had a question on the kashras of the chicken. <laughs> and their chicken was the chicken soup. He had a question. But he felt uncomfortable to say, you know, I'm not sure this chicken is good. Whatever his question was. So what did he do? 
He said, can I be like in the sub? He said, I don't need gebrachts. <laughs> I don't need gebrachts. Already was a minig that people knew about. So therefore he didn't need it. You know, he'll eat matzah for the meal of that, some vegetables, whatever he ate. I don't know what they had. I don't know if they had anything else. So he said, because he told him that he doesn't eat gebrachts, for the rest of his life, he never ate gebrachts. Even though his minig would have been to eat gebrachts, he came from a Litvisha family. He was a Litvisha yid. Because he told them verbally, I do not eat gebrachts, this is my custom, it became his custom. He never ate gebrachts again. The power of words, the power of commitment, and the power of understanding, prioritizing. Chumras are gewaldik, menhagam are The others observed the whole Torah, moiradik, moiradik. But wait, if Hashem tells you to do something, and because of you observing the whole Torah, you're not going to do what Hashem tells you to do. No, 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 no. Now the chumra is to violate the chumra and do what Hashem does. Avram Avinu can do a bris milah. How can he do a bris milah? You're spilling your own blood. Hashem tells you to do a bris. You do a bris. Till Hashem tells you to do a bris. You can't do a bris. There's something else we see in Bereshus. Another fascinating thing. We see that Yaakov was punished because he didn't respect his parents. For 22 years, he was away from his parents. He left Yitzchak. He left Rivka, even though he had to leave. And he stayed away from home 22 years. Which was lacking. It was a lack in his kibodava aim, in his showing respect of his father and mother. One second. Where was there a mitzvah to respect his father and mother? Mitzvah's kibbutz was not given them. What do we see from this? We see from this that this was an obligation even before Matan Torah. Even the Bnei Noyach accepted this upon themselves. The human mitzvah, the human idea, the humanistic idea of respecting your parents was ingrained even in the culture of Bnei Noyach. That's why it says, the Torah says that Terech died in Charan before Avram Avinu left. So Rashi says, one second. Avram Avinu left years after Terach died, so that the world should not say that Avram Avinu neglected his father and did not observe Kibodov. Well, well, we, we don't have to observe Kibodov. The Pshat is, these were moral obligations that were ingrained in the psyche of the Bnei Noyach even before Matan Torah, to the point that people held themselves and each other responsible for this. And by Yaakov Avinu not being careful about Kibodov, this affected him. And therefore, Yaakov one of the moral obligations, even before Matan Torah of B'nai Noyach, was the verbal commitments that you make, you have to keep. I'll say, spilling your own blood, Hashem says clearly not to do it. But where does Hashem say not to fool people, not to deceive people, not to violate commitments? But the fact is that these were things apparently that the B'nai Noyach accepted upon themselves. Rashi says, in Vayishlach, that the Umais, after the Mabal, accepted certain promiscuous arayas, they would not engage in these relationships. And that's why the Torah doesn't want to say that Avram violated Kibudov. What's the problem of Kibudov? This was something that the world respected. And if you don't do Kibudov, it's a problem. And because of that, it got a certain moral toikif, a moral strength, according to Dine Bnei Noyach and according to Torah, this became the moral obligation. So if the Avais by doing their own chumrah, would undermine something moral that all the Bnei Noyach were doing, then the right thing to do is not to do your chumrah. It would be a chilul Hashem to do your chumrah, and it would be violating the moral code of the Bnei Noyach that everybody accepted upon themselves. Because obviously, something that became the norm of morality among all the Bnei Noyach, like not deceiving somebody else, is more important than your own chumrah. And one of the things obviously was, just we spoke about Kibbut it's not deceiving somebody else. So Yaakov promised Rachel to marry her. Not only did he promise her, he gave her simonim, right? We know that he gave her simonim because she told him that my father is a, thie- is a, is a deceiver. 
So he gave her simonim, which means Rachel knew that what? That Yaakov is going to marry her. For him not to follow through, this would be deception. Especially knowing that there were two girls, one of them was supposed to be with Yaakov, one was supposed to be with Esav. If he doesn't marry Rachel, she's probably going to go to Esav. How much aggravation would he cause her? So you want now that Yaakov, because he's from, and he has to observe the whole Torah before it was given, he should throw Rachel under the bus and not marry her and let her end up with Esav. That Yaakov could not do. The Chumrah of Yaakov, you know, not to marry two sisters, cannot override the prohibition of deceiving Rachel and causing her so much aggravation. Now everything is understood. He said, I observed the 613 mitzvahs. Avram observed all the mitzvahs, even though Avram didn't do a bris before Hashem told him. And Yaakov married the sister. Yaakov, Rashi says, Tayag mitzvahs shamarti. doesn't say Tayag mitzvahs kiyamti. I observed the 613. He doesn't say I did the 613. He didn't do all the mitzvahs. He married two sisters. But he observed them. In other words, he wasn't over because... Because the opposite of Shmir is when you're over on a mitzvah loisessa, or you're mevatel a mitzvah essay. Not if the Torah tells you to be over, then you're actually being shomer the mitzvahs. Over here, by Yaakov marrying two sisters, he was actually observing the Torah that demands of him under those circumstances to follow through with his verbal commitment, because this is the moral obligation. Again, if Hashem would tell him not to marry two sisters, then this overrides anything else, even a verbal commitment. The verbal commitment doesn't have the power to override a prohibition in the Torah, but it was not a prohibition in the Torah. It was. A chumrah. Just like pikuach nefesh doicha kola kuli. You don't say, oh, you're over on Torah. No, this is what Torah says. Here too, Torah would say, don't follow your chumrah and marry Rachel. And there's a very powerful lesson. When I want to be stringent and I want to grow in my spirituality and my Yiddishkeit, it's amazing and beautiful. But the first thing you have to make sure is it shouldn't be at the expense of the needs and the benefit of other people. On the contrary, Hashem tells the reason, Hashem says the reason why I love Avram ki yedaitiv, lemana sheyitzava es bonav es beis achirav es shamru derech Hashem, lasa is tzedaka u mishpat. He says, you know why I love Avram Avinu? It doesn't say because Avram Avinu observed the whole Torah before it was given. Because I know that he's going to tell his children and his grandchildren and his home, and he's going to teach them to follow the path of God, to do tzedaka and mishpat, righteousness and justice. In other words, their tzedaka, their sensitivity, their empathy towards each other. And, the tzedakah is going to be in a way of tzedakah or mishpat. What's the connection? The tzedakah itself has to be with a mishpat, which means you have to be able to say, this money I really need for myself, and this money I can give away for tzedakah. Your tzedakah, you should be, you should be introspective and be real. Am I doing this? Whatever I'm doing, I'm doing this because I really, really want to be close to God. If you really want to be close to God, then you want to make sure to love God's children because that's what he wants. If you love God, you love his children. And I have to always be introspective and ask myself, is this maybe an ego trip? Is this maybe an obsessive trip? Is this maybe my OCD? Is this maybe a way of being vindictive, a way of justifying my disdain towards you or my division with you in the name of God? And here religion is used as a crutch to exploit people, to manipulate people. No, no, no. You want to be machmer gewaldig, but make sure your chumr is coming from a place of refinement, of empathy, of oneness with Hashem, of oneness with your soul, and therefore of oneness with humanity, and oneness with the Jewish people, and oneness with your family. This is not about being lightheaded and careless and apathetic and indifference and just, you know, this nice humanistic approach of moral relativism. No. There are boundaries, there are things that are forbidden and things that are permissible, but then there are those things, you know, where, are, where there is gray and you want to go the extra mile, and that's amazing. But I have to ask myself, is this is really what Hashem wants for me at this moment? It may sound very holy, it may sound very religious, but maybe the chumrah at this moment is 
to cook rice on Pesach. Maybe the Chumrah at this moment is, he made his matzah wet. Bite your lips. Maybe the Chumrah at this moment is for you to be quiet. <laughs> Maybe that's the Chumrah. Maybe the Chumrah for you is not to say anything, not to interfere, to show respect, to show love. It shouldn't come from weakness. It should come from strength. But I have to always ask myself, what does God want from me at this moment? What's the way in which I'm going to achieve real intimacy with Hashem? How come Yaakov didn't respond to Lavan, you didn't know this seven years ago? Or how come Yaakov never heard of the custom that the younger doesn't marry before the elder? Didn't Rachel know this practice? Well, it says clearly that uh, when Yaakov met Rachel, he told her that he is her father's brother. So the Gemara asks him of the Basra, and Rashi brings it. He wasn't her father's brother. He was her father's nephew. Why did he say he's your father's brother? He was intimating that I am your father's kin. I am your father's sibling, meaning I'm a partner of your father. I know how to deal with your father. He's a deceiver, and I can deal with deceivers. If he wants to deceive me, I'll deceive him. In other words, Rachel warned Yaakov that her father is a drekap. He's, he's not straight. And that's the reason our sages tell us that Yaakov did not recognize that it was lay at night because only in the morning when he saw. Because Rachel gave Yaakov simonim, signs, to be able to identify that she's the right person. In other words, they both knew that love on May create a switch. And Yaakov was prepared for that. So he was prepared for this deception. Yet, Rachel gave him simonim, or he gave Rachel simonim, so this shouldn't happen. We know at the last moment, what would our sages say? Rachel gave over those simonim to Leah because she was so afraid for Leah being humiliated. And because of that, what happens is, Yaakov ends up with Leah, not with Rachel. So now, Yaakov tells Lovin, why did you deceive me? And Lovin gives this answer, Yaakov Avinu, of course, knew that he was a deceiver. Rachel already warned him about it. We come now to the last point, to the last and final point. At the end of the day, you can ask now a big question. All very nice. It was a chumrah. But nonetheless, the Torah gives a reason why you're not allowed to marry two sisters. Why? When you bring two sisters into a marriage with one man... One woman becomes, one sister becomes a source of distress and anxiety for the other sister. You're not allowed to do that. Don't bring them into this bind. It's not fair. Torah doesn't allow it. At the end of the day, it was a chumrah, alz gotten fine. But it's something that's going to be forbidden. Why did Yaakov allow himself to do it? So you'll say, well, he made a promise for Rachel, he had to. Okay, very gishmak. He had to. But nonetheless, if this was the situation, perhaps he could have explained it to Rachel, this is going to be a litzra, there's going to be a tzorah here, there's going to be a problem here. At the end of the day, with all of the explanations, you're doing something that violates the hashkafa of Torah, even though it was not a prohibition before Matan Torah. So the Rebbe adds one final point, And that is, Yaakov felt, and before Matan Torah, he could make this cheshben, that in this situation, the litzra will not apply. Why? When Yaakov ended up with Leah, and then he met Rachel, he probably asked her, what happened with the Simonim? I gave you signs. How did Leah know them? And perhaps Rachel had to tell him the truth. I gave them over to Leah. In other words, my sensitivity and my respect for my sister overrided everything. Yaakov Avinu said, ay, 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 if this is my Rachel, that's not going to be a litzreh. If this is my Rachel, 
Even if I marry her and Leah is going to be another sister, is going to be another wife, there's not going to be a, they're not going to become a source of tsaris for each other. In this home, there will not be a hatred that will turn two loving sisters into foes, into enemies, because they know how to compromise. They know how to forgo their own benefits for the other. If Rachel is capable of self-sacrifice, there won't be a litzvah in this situation. And indeed, we see two stories. When Leah is giving birth and Rachel is struggling with infertility, it says Rachel was jealous of her sister. So what does Rashi say? She was jealous because of her good deeds. In other words, this wasn't a jealousy of... I can't stand my sister. She's happy. She's successful. She's having children. Her husband is going to love her. I hate her. No. It's a kin of masahatayvim. I want to learn from Leah. Wow. Why does Rashi say this? Say she was jealous. Jealous. First time you hear about jealousy, because there's no litz right here. Rachel didn't have that jealousy of Leah. And when Leah gets her, when Leah begins her seventh pregnancy, remember what happens? Leah is afraid that it's going to be a son. And then Rachel will not even have two because she knew that Yaakov was going to have 12 sons. She had six. Bila and Zilpah each had two. So that's 10. If Leah now has a seventh son, it's going to be number 11. So Rachel will not even have two sons. In other words, she will have less than the maids. And that perturbs Leah to her core. And what happens? Donna din ba'atzma, she judges herself and she prays that the fetus should be transformed. And instead of having a son, she has a daughter and that is Dina. And that's why the name is Dina. Because she judged herself, how can I allow myself to have a seventh son and my, my sister Rachel will not even be able to have two sons like Bila and Zilpa. Wow. She might say, Rachel is jealous of me, Rachel is closer to Yaakov. Let me have a seventh son, let me show her. No, 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 not these two sisters. Even though there was pain and even though there were difficulties, but Litzer, there was no Litzer. Yaakov was right. And therefore the whole logic that the Torah gives why two sisters can't marry each other doesn't apply to Leah and Rachel. And therefore Yaakov could marry Leah and Rachel. Even though the Kaisal he won't do when Mashiach comes because after Matan Taira it's an Isser. But for Yaakov Avinu, it was the right thing according to Rashi's perspective on Taira. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.